Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, your guide to everything love, sex, intimacy, and relationships. Each week, your host, Zach Beach, interviews new experts on love, including couples therapists, relationship coaches, sex educators, and best-selling authors. Learn the best tips and cutting-edge wisdom to better love yourself, others, and the world. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, everyone. I am your host, Zach Beach, and I'm here with the incredible human connection coach, Emily Goff. Hello, Emily, and welcome to the show. Hi, Zach. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Today, we're going to be talking about communication for connection. And for those that don't know, Emily Goff is a human connection coach, writer, speaker, and host of the Top 200 Room to Grow podcast. Fueled by an insatiable curiosity for the nuance and complexities of relationships and the human experience, she takes a holistic mind-body approach using the psychology and physiology of emotions to give you the guidance, real-life tools, and perspective you need to take ownership of your life, revolutionize your relationship to yourself, and create thriving connections with others. With features in well-known publications like Forbes and interviews on dozens of podcasts, Emily is sought after for her compassionate, direct, and genuine approach. How are you today, Emily? I'm well. I'm well. Glad to be here. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that you're here too. I'm super excited for your compassionate, direct, and genuine approach. Uh, to... <laughs> I'd be a little too direct for some people. <laughs> uh, let's talk about connection. You say that human connection is at the root of everything it is that we do. And I'm curious what brought you to this conclusion. I think that ultimately it all starts with a connection to ourselves. And if we're very disconnected from ourselves, that's going to show up in our work. That's going to show up in our partnerships. It's going to show up in the way that we treat our bodies, the way that we take care of ourselves. It it shows up in all of of the biggest, most important areas. And I think that as a culture, we're, we're really suffering from a lack of intimacy and it's really harmful for us because so many people are walking around to get disconnected and not knowing what it is that they need to do or the steps that they can take to get to that next level that they that they can sense is coming for them. So when you say we lack intimacy, how do you define intimacy? What do you think that we are lacking? I think that a lot of people are missing deeply connected, fulfilling relationships with other humans. And that can then sometimes translate into numbing tactics um, that we use to sort of like avoid the real issue because we may not even know sometimes what the what the real issue is. But that's when we can sort of try to find filler relationships in some ways. Perhaps someone who is like jumping from romantic relationship to romantic relationship without ever really taking the time to just kind of be on their own and to find ways to actually be happy and learn to thrive when they're alone. Uh, I actually think that's a really big skill. Even when you're in a relationship, I think that that's still an important skill to cultivate, to be able to be comfortable in your own company. Because ultimately, like we, we are the ones who are going to be getting out of bed with us until death do us part. So we have to be comfortable with that relationship first. So how do we become more comfortable with ourselves? It's going to vary by person, but I think one one question that I sometimes will ask people is, do you like yourself? Not not love yourself. Do you like yourself? 
because there's a lot of self-love <laughs> bullshit getting thrown around Instagram. And it, it's not it's not bullshit mm-hmm. in the sense of like it's valid. But I think that for most people, it's too much of a jump to go from potentially actively disliking themselves, even if they're not fully conscious to that, but showing up in a way that that makes it somewhat obvious that that they're they really do not like who they see reflected back to them. And to go from that to self-love, that that would be like meeting a stranger on the street and being told to just snap your fingers and fall in love with them without ever having have a, had a conversation with them. We we have to start to peel back some of the, our, our layers. And sometimes that's going to mean doing some uncomfortable things. Maybe it's taking a solo trip. And I, I don't mean like around the world, like maybe it means um, taking yourself out for a solo date, going away for the weekend or something. Um, finding ways to just enjoy and appreciate your own company. I think that's a really important part of of learning to be human. Yeah, just today I saw this Instagram post and I, I follow a lot of people in the yoga community. And it was like, yoga is not about self-growth. It's about self-acceptance. And I was like, mm, is it though? <laughs> because I'm like, here we are, we're stretching, we're strengthening our bodies, we're cultivating balance. And I was like, are these two things so contradictory? Can they be both? Can we both accept ourselves and want to improve? Because even when I think about, okay, do you like yourself? Mm, no, there are these deficiencies I notice in my personality or character. Therefore, do I need to just accept myself fully and then think that I don't necessarily have room to grow? Or is this going to, is self acceptance going to undercut my motivation to grow? How do you find we balance this basic idea that there's room for improvement over here that we can focus on versus accepting ourselves just as we are over here? And do I also need to accept my inability to accept myself? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm glad you brought up acceptance. And, and that's a great question, too. But like acceptance versus growth, because when I actually work around work with people around this, I, I start with acceptance. So I'm so glad that you mentioned that because, you know, we also don't just jump to liking ourselves either. For some people, that is a big jump. For some people it may not be. But for others, the acceptance has to start first. And I think that that's a really big fear that a lot of us have is the fear of complacency, that if I accept this, then I'm accepting that it will not change. And there is a difference between the two. We, we can accept something and also still acknowledge that it's an aspect of ourselves that we're actively working on to grow, to your point, in terms of the growth. I, I definitely don't think that it's an either or in terms of acceptance and growth. I think that it's an and. I tend to see the world with a lot of ands anyway, as opposed to the very polarized way of thinking. I, I think that it's really important to cultivate as many different perspectives as we can, because I think that there's very few issues in this world that are actually very black and white. Most things require a lot of nuance and have a variety of different perspectives attached to them, depending on who you ask, um, the lens that they see the world, the filter with which they are receiving the world. There's there's so many ways that we can get curious about other people, about ourselves. That's also a really great way to get to know yourself too and to become more comfortable with yourself is to get curious when you perhaps have an intense reaction to something in a, in a relationship or in a conversation or to something you even just see posted on Instagram, perhaps. Get curious, like ask yourself why and, and not with any judgment, just 
bringing the awareness to that and going, oh, like that, that really triggered me perhaps. Or I, why did I get angry about that? Or why did I have such a strong reaction to that? It doesn't have to involve shaming ourselves. It, it hopefully shouldn't. But if we can get curious about why, we might actually learn an awful lot about ourselves that can also help lead to greater acceptance of who we are. Yeah, I like how you your insight that we do have a certain fear of complacency, a fear of just being, sitting, breathing, accepting ourselves just as we are. And I feel like a lot of that is through our culture that embraces the hustle and the grind that is perennially accelerating. And I feel like we do have this deeply entrenched belief that if I'm not working really hard or putting a lot of effort into, say, my career or myself or my relationship, that I am falling behind, for example. And I like your emphasis on the both and in contrast to the either or, because part of the solution is in the external world, like the pressures that are put on ourselves. But then we do sort of want that internal transformation that you are describing that allows us to accept ourselves just as we are. And I'd love to hear more about how we do cultivate more connection in our world because I do think, like you said, we do lack intimacy in our culture. I think we live in a loneliness epidemic. And you mentioned a lot of that is because we're not connected to ourselves. But I also think there's more we can do to even structure our society to create more connection in the world. And I'm curious how you think we might be able to do that. The first tool that I'll mention is compassion. And compassion, I, I have a framework that I teach around, around connection. Uh, and it's, it's the four C's of connection. So it's curiosity, compassion, communication, and courage. And compassion is really, I know I already mentioned curiosity um, about getting curious when we, when we see or feel things coming up for us or in others, perhaps. Like it's an opportunity to get curious if somebody else has an intense reaction. We can get curious. Again, not, not in a judgmental way. But just asking genuinely, you know, what it, what is it about that 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 doesn't feel good for you? I'd love to know. Like, tell me more about that. And the compassion element is something that I see lacking sometimes. When when I see a lot of disconnection, or when there will be people on the internet making uh, nasty comments or <laughs> whatever it is, we've all we've all seen those those things happen. It's a lack of compassion. And if we can take the time and effort to even want to get curious about why someone else feels the way that they do. Every single human is a unique is a unique spiritual being, is more unique than a fingerprint because we all come to the table with our own cultural norms, uh, different childhoods, beliefs, stories that we have learned, trauma, uh, relational history, all of these different things contribute to who we are as human beings. And they... They also contribute to our relational intelligence. And when we can accept that two people, if you even take, for example, uh, two siblings, I don't, do you have siblings? Yep. Okay. So I'm an only child, so I can't speak from the sibling perspective. So that's why I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> so if we even take like, like two or, or three children from the same household, you, you guys are not the same. You are not the same. Even if we took two identical twins who were raised in the same household, there will still be instances where they have a different memory or different interpretation of how something went down, how a particular situation happened or a set of circumstances unfolded. And that shapes them into who they are. And 
all of those things then come out in our other relationships. So sometimes if we perhaps um, get irritated by something, we may not even know why we're irritated. And that could be something that, that we eventually trace back to something way back when, when we're not even making the association in our heads. And if we realize that every single human has that, it will actually offer us the opportunity to ask questions, to, um, to have more compassion when we can learn what someone else's perspective is. Because if, if you and I have two wildly different perspectives on the world, and I just judge you, as opposed to asking you why you feel that way, I'm passing up a beautiful opportunity for growth. It's that, that's a powerful, powerful doorway that I could go through where you and I could then have a whole different conversation. And I could leave that conversation with an entirely new perspective on the world that would then allow me to show up in, in a more well-rounded way with other humans as well. So we have to get curious to, but we have, it has to come from a genuine place. We can't just like ask questions for the sake of asking questions. We, we have to really know, we have to really want to learn more. That, that has to come energetically from, from a genuine, authentic place. So the four C's of connection, curiosity, compassion, courage, and what was the last one? Communication. Uh, communication. Yeah. It's a wonderful segue because that is what I wanted to ask about because I'm hearing... The more we remain curious to each other and listen to each other, the more connection that we get to cultivate. But I'm thinking how that medium for communication has broken down. And a lot of people blame social media nowadays that continues to isolate us in our own little bubbles. We like the posts that we agree with. We don't see the posts that we don't agree with. We join groups that uh, conform on our own belief system so that there doesn't even end up being any cross idea conversations. And a lot of people are saying right now that we're how divisive the world is. And I'm always a little skeptical when I hear that because I listened to a, like a, a recording 50 years ago and the speaker was like, things have never been more divided than they are today. <laughs> and I bet like, every time like it seems like people are divided, I'm like, like there was a war over slavery. I think <laughs> there has been division always. But I am curious, what is your appraisal of how divisive the world is right now? And how do we encourage and cultivate that cross issue communication. I do think that you're right that a lot of times a lot of times we'll we'll end up in situations where as a society because it's it's our first time around <laughs> at least in this lifetime <laughs> if we want to go down that road <laughs> that we are experiencing the current times that we can feel like something is uh the end of the world or that something is the worst it's ever been. And I think that, and, and to your point, actually, about the sort of confirmation bias and the bubbles that we can get into as well, I think it's important for anyone to actively make an effort to seek out sources of information that you don't agree with, on a, at least on a semi-regular basis, to, to learn how other people view the world. Doesn't mean you have to leave agreeing with them. It just means, and that same goes for anything to do with compassion, too. We can love people and still disagree with them. And, and that can be okay. We, we don't have to agree with every single person for connection to take place with those individuals. So 
when it comes to communication, I, I think that we have to really be able to open the door to have the hard conversations and to not sidestep things and uh, sweep things under the rug and go along to get along. And it's a fine line because if we take this from the standpoint of uh, how divided uh, things are in a lot of ways right now, it can feel a whole hell of a lot easier to just sweep it under the rug. And that can be fine to a point. Maybe that's a, a boundary that we set up perhaps with family members that I love you, but I disagree with you on this. Like, we're not going to talk anymore about this particular issue, but we can talk about, you know, these these other things. That sometimes may be necessary from a, a purely a mental health standpoint. At the same time, I think that that we need to be able to um, to reach out to other humans and check on them too, like see how they're doing. That's another thing that I see with social media. If we're bringing that in with the loneliness factor, we can see people posting and then we think that we know what's going on in their lives because they put up a post every once in a while. So then we don't actually make the effort to reach out and have have a, a true conversation with them because we think we already know what's happening for them. So actually texting, <laughs> even though I'm not saying texting is ideal, but it's better than just like observing a social media post and not saying anything, uh, actually texting or sending an audio message, um, picking up the phone, heaven forbid, setting up like an actual in-person date with someone, if that's a possibility. If you think of someone, let them know, like communicate that to them. If you recognize beautiful qualities in somebody, tell them they, they, it, that would make their entire day most likely. And that could completely shift something for them. Maybe they would even in the, in that moment feel loved or seen in a way that they never had before. And then you actually get to spread that, that, that is contagious in the best possible kind of way. Mm -hmm. So we can love people and still disagree with them. Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Listen, anything I say, someone could disagree with. So, <laughs> Well, I was thinking about how those hot button issues that bring up so, emotion, so much emotion with a lot of people and how the general strategy is just to avoid it altogether. Like don't talk about politics at the dinner table or keep things like super light. Talk about sports with your coworkers sort of thing. So I say I do want to talk to somebody I disagree with. What is the best way to do that? How do I bring up those hot button issues without triggering or getting caught up in the emotions that politicians so thrive on us having those knee-jerk reactions? <laughs> well, for one thing, our energy is our responsibility. So we have to manage our own emotions. We need to be able to emotionally regulate ourselves. Are we always going to get this right? Absolutely not. But <laughs> how we learn is by not getting it right and then starting to do the inner work where we feel more comfortable within ourselves. We feel more comfortable to regulate ourselves and we can remain calm and grounded and and from within so that we can be our own anchor in the storm no matter what is going on around us that's really important and that does not happen overnight that that can take years to get to the point of, of being able to do that one of the ways though that you get to the point of being able to experience emotional regulation is by having the hard conversations and not all at once it's it's expanding your nervous system's capacity to be able to hold it so sometimes that means that if you know, this is just purely a hypothetical random example, but if you know that there are 10 hard conversations that you need to have and you've gone perhaps years avoiding 
those 10 conversations or hard conversations in general. I would not recommend to that person to go out and have all 10 of those tomorrow. <laughs> I'm going to be like, okay, maybe you start with one. It's sort of like dipping your toe in the water. That That's how we teach our nervous system safety because ultimately our nervous system in those moments, we end up physiologically flooded uh, is, is what the, the, the Gottmans refer to it as, as being flooded. When we have a physiological response to stress, which can often happen when we are having perhaps a, a really difficult conversation that is is getting very emotional. And in those moments, one of the, there are various tools that we can use to regulate ourselves. Any, anything from breathing, maybe we incorporate some movement, we go for a walk, we have to walk away from the conversation for 15, 20 minutes. We let the other person know, we don't just like disappear out the door, we let them know <laughs> we need 15 or 20 minutes or whatever it is. But learning to regulate ourselves, that is going to provide the inner safety that will teach us that we we can do these things and still survive. We can have the hard conversation and it won't actually kill us. And then we can have another one and then another one. And hmm. and it's a, it's a skill just like anything else. It it doesn't no one comes out of the womb knowing how to have hard conversations really well. <laughs> it's hmm. it's uh, something that you have to practice over time and Hopefully that's actually encouraging because then we get to understand that anyone who is good at it, they've just had more practice. That's it. And, and so it's an opportunity that you get to dive into as well. Like, but it starts with having one and then having another and then having another and seeing how those go. And that's when we can start to start to get to a place of, of being more comfortable with disagreeing with someone. And letting that be okay. I'm wondering if you have an example either from your personal or professional life about, say, a conversation that didn't go so well. And then the person learned uh, a little bit of these tools and then how they approached it to create a conversation that was more serving of connection and understanding. Yeah. I remember years ago, my partner at the time, I had not learned well to have hard conversations at that time. And I would sort of do the difficult conversation, but then when things got too hard, I would kind of bolt. And and not, not in the, uh, I need 15 minutes, I'll be back sort of way, but in the like running off crying kind of way. This was like years and years ago. And he got really annoyed with me, rightfully so. <laughs> He's like, this, this is not working. He's like, you can't just like run away every time things get hard. I'm not going to chase after you. And I was like, oh, right. I'm a grown ass human. I need to actually be able <laughs> to be, be able to have this conversation. So it, it, ha it didn't happen instantaneously, but it, it happened over time where when I could feel that my instinct was to bolt, I was like, I need to do the opposite of this right now. So I need, I need to stay for this. And to see the conversation through to the end, no matter how hard it got. And what I actually started to learn was that not only did I still survive, I was still standing at the end of the conversation, <laughs> but that they were actually opportunities for deeper connection with that person. That's not always going to be the case. We it, There will be people where we have hard conversations with and it doesn't go well. That's just part of life. But when we avoid all the conversations because we just assume that they're going to go badly, we miss out on the really deep connections that are only forged through conflict. And I don't mean conflict like 
you know, screaming at each other. I mean, like, like just a disagreement where, where we don't agree with the other person and we can leave that conversation still disagreeing, but actually having perhaps more respect for the other person and having a better understanding of who they are and how they show up in the world and what, what they bring to the relationship because we had the difficult conversation. The conversations that we're avoiding most are the ones that we most need to have. That can be a really good place to start for anyone who, who is like, oh, well, I, don't, I don't think I have any hard conversations that I need to have. Like, you know, maybe just like start thinking about that and go, okay, is, is there any conversation that I tend to sidestep or that I just kind of like skirt around a particular issue or something like that? Maybe, not every time, but maybe that is a conversation worth having. And you might actually be blown away at how powerful that can be in a really positive way, not only to teach yourself that you can do that hard thing and still come out on the other side, but actually really positive for the relationship too. I'm imagining a listener going, oh no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, basically, this isn't what people want to hear. Like, (laughs) I don't expect to be popular for this. (laughs) The conversations you are avoiding the most are the ones you most need to have. Yeah. Yeah. There are a lot of so many communication tools out there. A lot of couples therapists have their own dialogues that they recommend. There's nonviolent communication. There's the Imago dialogue, the Gottman's How of the Soft Startups. I'm curious, what are some tools that you have found particularly useful? There is one that that often comes to mind. And I heard this from Brene Brown years ago, but I I have been using it for many, many years to great success, like almost, almost a hundred percent success rate. Actually, (laughs) I rarely speak in absolutes, but it has gone very well is the stories I'm telling myself is blank. So basically when, what happens is that in our heads, Zach, if you say something to me and I, um, I immediately, instantaneously, our brains do this. I take it a particular way. I make an assumption about what you meant when you said that. I, I am see, I'm hearing it through again, like the my own unique lens of the world. All of these different things, and by the time I fully receive whatever you said, it might be completely and wildly different from what you intended it initially. So rather than come at you uh, with a very emotional response about the assumptions that I'm making, I give you an opportunity to clarify again without judgment. So I'm like, okay, Zach, the story that I'm telling myself is that this is what you meant when you said this to me. And I'm then allowing you the space to potentially correct me and go, oh, no, 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 that's not what I meant at all. This is what I meant instead. And that can be a really powerful opportunity before we before we jump the gun, we've all had these moments like this is where this is where conversations go awry. Is <laughs> that one moment where one or both parties makes an assumption and things start to go wildly off track very quickly. And this can actually divert from a lot of that to open things up for more conversation and an opportunity for compassion instead. That's a really key lesson I too have been exploring. Almost this basic idea that we don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. And we do interpret everything we hear and say through our own lenses and our own story. And often we interpret our partner's behavior as very different than their own intention. Yeah. And actually, I, I 
often will teach practicing, and it's very much a practice, sometimes a practice that we don't want to embark upon, but it can be very helpful, is how can I, asking ourselves, like, how can I look at this situation through a lens of compassion? So I remember when I was a kid, my mom would, I, I would come home from school upset about something that had happened with a classmate or something like that. And she would say, oh, well, but maybe this is what they meant, or maybe this is what they're going through, or maybe this is what happened. I never wanted to hear it when I was a kid. I'm like, mom, just let me be mad. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Just let me be mad. <laughs> but as an adult, I've actually really embraced that because we never know what is going on in someone else's life. Truly, we, we never know, even, even with our partners, maybe something happened at work that day that they haven't shared with you yet that they're really either upset about or just like worried about even in kind of like the back of their minds. And it's, it's changing how they show up with you. So can we, can we believe in the best in people? Can we assume the best until someone perhaps gives us a reason to believe otherwise? And lots of people will disagree with me on that. And yeah, not everybody deserve, deserves access to your heart, but don't, don't slam the door on the people who do before you ever even give them an opportunity. I think that what happens with a lot of folks is they might read a book about communication or learn some tool from their therapist and then walk into a conversation prepared and ready to use it. And they might say something like, honey, you know, I'm feeling... And then they get interrupted (laughs) by something and then get triggered. And then suddenly all those lovely tools... (laughs) (laughs) that they had planned to use suddenly get thrown out the window. That often comes up with like family, for example. You're like, okay, this family gathering, you mentioned the being the anchor in the storm, right? I'm going to be at total peace with myself. (laughs) And you walk into the room and your mother's like, have you gained weight? And and suddenly, (laughs) suddenly my inner peace has gone out the window. (laughs) So <laughs> how do we meet those challenges when, you know, almost we feel like we, we were given a hammer, but we need like a chainsaw or something like the tool <laughs> that we use, the communication tool that we use is not working right now. You know, it's interesting. The way that I teach communication, I do, I do give verbal tools. You know, one of them I, I just gave you, but I actually teach communication from different angles because anywhere between 70 to 90% of our communication is nonverbal. So there's actually three sort of three main types of communication. There's the verbal, the words that we are actually speaking. Then there's the physical and the body language. And then there's the energy with which we communicate. And the verbal, we, we put everything on it and we want all the tools and we want the right things to say and all of these things. But in actually, I, I love the example that you just gave. So let's say mom typically comments on <laughs> on someone's weight when, as soon as we walk in the door. And it's it's just sort of like always kind of been that way for most of our lives. You can give somebody all the verbal tools in the world. It won't make any difference. They, they can walk in the door and, and be fully equipped. But <laughs> even if they use the exact right tool that perhaps catches mom off guard and, and turns the conversation more positive, we are still going to be saying it in the energy of the assumption that we're about to be attacked. It's, it's, we're already going in with, with defensive energy. That is not going to bode well, most likely. Even if the conversation happens to go better verbally, we may still not feel great about it, even on a subconscious level, because 
we're still sort of we're in full attack mode because we're waiting to like get hit with a punch, the, the verbal punch. And this is something that we really have to look at because verbal tools will only get you so far. And this is why the inner work is so important. This is why we, I mean, this could also open up an entire conversation about boundaries, but I don't think that we'll have enough time to go into all of that today. But <laughs> it, it is really important to be able to come back to ourselves and recognize that when we can't control other people, we perhaps maybe need to limit our exposure with others until we get to a place where we perhaps feel a little bit more adaptable to our environment. You know, there was something I was reading recently about um, that Charles Darwin's quote about survival of the fittest has actually been taken a little bit out, out of context over the years, that he actually basically said that survival was going to be for those who were most adaptable to change. And I think that that's something that that we can apply to a wide variety of different areas in our lives where if we can be more adaptable to circumstances that are less than ideal and be able to be grounded within ourselves and to recognize that whatever the other person is saying, it isn't likely really much of anything to do with us. That does not take the pain away. That That is not, you know, there's that old saying like sticks and stones break our bones. Like it, hopefully we're way past that now. <laughs> we are aware mm -hmm. of and conscious to how much power our words hold, whether we are on the giving or the receiving end. But again, I'm going to bring back to the compassion. I don't want to sound like a broken record, but if we can have compassion for someone who is being hurtful to us, imagine how little compassion they show themselves. Imagine the pain behind those words, because we tend to show outwardly more compassion than we show ourselves. Most, most of us generally do. So if someone is, is spewing things like that at you, imagine what it's like for them internally. That isn't a place I'd want to live. And that, again, that does not take the pain away, but that can perhaps provide a degree of perspective that can help us to move through a really difficult situation or scenario. I have kind of a silly question because I do agree with you that the inner work is necessary. Having the difficult conversations is necessary. Looking at our own reactions to things, our own triggers to things requires a certain courage that our nonverbal communication is just as important as the verbal. So even though we might say something like, I love or care about you, if the intonation and the energy we're giving off doesn't align with that, it's not going to come across. And yet I can think of many people, couples, maybe even like coworkers who are quite successful in life, and they've never read a self-help book or meditated or um, listen to a learn to love podcast. <laughs> they haven't seemed to have done any of the work and seem to be doing quite okay. And here I am like having difficult, vulnerable, challenging conversations, meeting my <laughs> mental patterning head on. And I was like, is there something wrong with me? Am I like speaking in a general voice, you know, just the general critical yes. mind that we all have, not my voice, but you know, if it's like, is there something wrong with me? Why I feel like I have to do all these things in order to be in a happy and successful partnership? That's a beautiful question. I'm so glad you asked that. The first thing that I would say there is that there were two two words three words, actually, that stood out to me in what you said. One was uh, the phrase seems to, that they seem to sort of like have it all together or have the thriving relationship or whatever it is. The second is success, because I would want 
a greater definition broken down of, of what someone's individual definition of success is, because success means something different to many different people. And if we just speak about success on a very um, sort of societal, cultural level, in like North American culture, that would probably, for most people, be considered uh, financial success, stability in some way or another, particularly financial and, you know, great relationship. Uh, I, I mean, we, we could certainly add to that list, but I feel like there are like certain, certain things at the very top of that list that most people could agree upon. But things like financial success are only one small marker. Like money in the bank is only one small marker of, of success. I've known many people who are incredibly wealthy and they are perhaps entering periods of their life where they're wildly unhappy because they may have poured everything into building the business or the career or whatever and sort of left everything behind. And then they reach a point where they've got all the money they they went to seek out to get, but they don't have the other pieces of it. Or perhaps a relationship that seems to be thriving, but is it? I hope so. I, I genuinely hope so. And, and for some people, it absolutely is. But Again, it's the lens that we're seeing things with. No one has their shit together. No one has their <laughs> shit together. <laughs> and, and if someone has like the thriving relationship and the financial success, let's say they've got like those two, two major things uh, checked off, they might be dealing with something completely different that we don't even know about or struggling somehow. Like the number of people, even just in the last few years where we've seen people come out talking about how they, you know, they, they had never shared this, this big thing that they were dealing with or struggling with. That plays a really big role. Yeah, I was in a nine-year relationship where I found out at the very end of that nine years that he had been having an affair off and on for our entire nine years together uh, and had a secret house 170 meters from our driveway. And our relationship seemed great. A secret house. Yeah, yeah. Our relationship seemed great. And, and outwardly too, like other people were also shocked, which actually made me feel a little bit better at the time because I was like, okay, I wasn't the only one who missed this. But of course there were signs, like as his partner, that... I chose to ignore. And people will ask me, well, you know, looking back, did you see the signs? I'm like, well, looking back, we always see the signs. Like hindsight is always 2020, right? But at the time, I I didn't see that. And it seemed like a great relationship. Anyone, there, there were many people who actually looked at me like I had it all together, like he and I had it all together. And I, I agreed with them. I thought we did too. <laughs> and <laughs> there was something very different going on. And I am not at all saying that that's what, what's happening in most people's relationships. That's just a very dramatic example <laughs> of, of something where... Somebody just looked at their partner and was like... Hmm. Oh, God, no, I, I, don't want it, I don't want anyone to be scared of, of, that, of that story happening to them. But it's just an example of going deeper. There's a lot of surface level things in this world. and we have to look at our definition of what we want our, our life to look like and what we want our life to feel like, but what we want it to look and feel like, not according to someone else's definition and not according to what it looks like everyone else has that we think we don't. Because I guarantee you, there's somebody else looking at, at you. I don't mean you, just in general. Someone else looking at, at you going, I really wish that I had what they have. Yeah, that was one of the biggest shocks when I came to adulthood. You know, as a kid, you look around, you're like, okay, people have their cars, their homes, their jobs, they go to work, they come back. Life's, they have life's pretty much together, like you figure it out. <laughs> and then you become an adult and you realize everyone is winging it. No one, as you said, no one has their shit together. We're all trying our best. And it is incredible 
once you do open your heart and truly listen to somebody, you learn the struggles, the unique struggles that we are all going through. Sometimes that's marital relationship struggles. Sometimes it's personal health. Sometimes it's stress at work. And that's where I think compassion comes in most easily. And you mentioned it a few times about how once we can really open our hearts to others, we see how everyone's struggling in their own way. And I'd love to hear more about that key piece of compassion as we're winding down, what it really looks like to see others through this lens and how it might help us in our communication. I think that when we can approach other people with compassion, you mentioned soft startups and, and the word that's coming to mind to me is, is a softening. Like it, it, can, it can take the edge off a little bit where we come with the understanding that everyone has a story. Everyone has something going on. Everyone has been through certain things. And, you know, as much as I, I mentioned curiosity, the, the other asterisk that I kind of always want to make sure to add to curiosity is that some people might not be naturally curious because it may not have been safe for them to be curious, either in childhood or perhaps a past relationship where that was really shut down. So to have a lot of compassion for that too, if, if perhaps you're engaging with someone who you're perhaps showing lots of curiosity, but maybe it's actually setting the other person on edge that you're asking questions and, and or maybe uh, you're irritated that you don't think that they're asking you enough questions in return, like for it to be reciprocal. I'm not saying that that is the reason, but again, to offer potential compassion here, that could be a reason. Maybe they were in a relationship before where they were continuously shut down and uh, taught that curiosity was not acceptable. So that's something to remember as well. But the the compassion piece is it is absolutely one of one of the best tools that I can give. You know, there's a, a story. Have you seen a lot of people haven't, but have you seen in and of itself with Derek Delgadio? I don't think so. Okay. I, I highly recommend it to anyone listening. He's a performing artist and he put on this show in New York that they then ended up doing basically a movie, but kind of like a documentary around it. And I won't give it away, but a story that he shares in it, it's actually a really old, a really, really old story that's been told all over the world is about an elephant that is standing in a field. And there's these six blind guys that come into the field and they're trying to figure out what this elephant is because they can't see it. They don't know if it, it, that, that it's an elephant. So each one of these guys is touching a different part of the elephant. And the one guy is touching uh, the elephant's leg. He's like, oh, guys, it's, it's just a tree trunk. And another one is, is touching the trunk. And he goes, no, it's, it's like a snake of some kind. Someone's touching the tail. They think it's a rope. They, this goes on and on, on. And each one of them has a completely different perspective on what it is that they're touching because they, they can't see it. And they're not coordinating with each other to try and figure out what it actually is. So this is kind of how we have to approach our relationships too, is to understand that we're only seeing one piece, one part of them. We're also only seeing what the other person is allowing us to see. Maybe they don't feel safe either within themselves or with us to let us see more. Maybe more trust needs to be built before they will be safe to do so. And same goes for us. So when we, when we understand that and we recognize that being human is a constant practice in being human and everyone is doing the best, in, in my personal belief, I think that everyone is doing the best they can with the knowledge and wisdom they have at the time. And if we believe that, 
Wait, I find truly like that, that me believing that simple thought, it always allows me the space to hold more compassion for someone. Absolutely. I just added in and of itself to my watch list. Mm -hmm. And that is something that came up for me when you mentioned the four C's of connection, curiosity, compassion, courage, communication. I was thinking about kind of how these things are internal qualities, almost like trees or flowers that we can cultivate. And depending on the environment that we grew up in, maybe the ground is quite fertile for those things to grow. Or maybe it's just a small little seed right now. And it's something that we can help each other cultivate in our relationships. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you so much, Emily, for coming onto the show. I do have to finish by asking my final question. I ask all of my guests, which is, what do you wish everyone knew about love? First of all, love is finite. And the other thing that I'll say is that I've been working on these, these laws of love that I'm not ready to share them publicly yet, but I'll, I'll share one of them. And it's the law of collateral beauty, which is that if you can still recognize the beauty in the world and in other people, even through your pain, that love will still always be able to find you. And when we go through a, a breakup or a, particularly a breakup, when we, when we go through a breakup, we're devastated because we think love has left us. But love never leaves us because we, we are love. We, we don't even just hold love within us. We, we are love. And that sounds very philosophical. And I know that a younger version of me is cringing to hear me say that because years <laughs> ago, I would have been like, what does that even mean? I don't even understand what that means. <laughs> but every interaction that, that we have is an opportunity to use that love. And you can almost treat it like a muscle because it's finite. The, the more you exercise it, the more you will have and the more will flow into your life. It's, it's not that we give love to one person and then it exits uh, stage left with that other person when they walk away. That's not what it is. We have the opportunity to continue to pour more love into the world and to see the beautiful ripple effect as a direct result. Love never leaves us. <laughs> I'll remember that as we near the end of this conversation and we have to leave each other. <laughs> so thank you so much Emily Goff for coming on to the show you'll have to come back for red flags when your partner has been cheating on you for nine years <laughs> I'm so curious about <laughs> all the juicy details about how that happened but for now I really appreciate you coming on to the show and for our listeners that want to learn more about you how can they find you Absolutely. Uh, so Instagram is probably the easiest place. I'm over at Emily Goff Coach. Uh, my last name is G-O-U-G-H for anybody uh, wondering. I'm sure it'll be referenced as well. I'm over at emilygoffcoaching.com and I am the host of the Room to Grow podcast. So you can come find me over there. We have like well over 350 episodes and all kinds of incredible guests and just diving deep into all of all of these topics around relationships. So yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you, Emily Goff, for coming on to the show. And thank you, listeners, for listening to the show. We hope you remember all the valuable lessons that Emily shared with us today, including the four C's of connection, curiosity, compassion, courage, and communication. And that we can look at life through the lens of compassion. Believe it or not, we can love people and still disagree with them. And we have to have those difficult conversations. And the ones you are avoiding the most are the ones you most need to have. 
Verbal tools will only get you so far, which is why our own inner work is so important. And it's important to see the good in people. Everyone is doing the best we can with the knowledge and wisdom that we have at the time. And don't forget, love never leaves us. <laughs> if you want to learn more about me, you can go to zachbeach.com and learn more about the show at theheartcenter.com. Thanks again, Emily. Thank you, Zach. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks again for listening to the Learn to Love podcast. To learn more about the show and your host, head over to ZachBeach.com or TheHeartCenter.com. You can also follow Zach on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 